If you're ready to finally start putting the pieces together and get a head start on your sober curious journey, you've got to get in my program, Awaken Sober Living. The secret sauce that really brings it all together is asking the right questions and then actually answering them. And then we go a little bit deeper. So if you're over the trap of trying to figure it out with moderation and stopping and starting all the time, this is the space for you to get a whole new perspective and make space for something new to come through. And that something new is more of you. There'll be a link right here in the show notes for you to go on over and get right in there. You can also just go to visit my website, marywagstaffcoach.com, and we will get going. I'll see you on the inside. I'll be there for you every step of the way. Do you ever feel like you're outgrowing alcohol, that you are longing for a deeper connection to life? If alcohol is keeping you playing small and feels like the one area you just can't figure out, you are in the right place. Hi, my name is Mary Wagstaff. I'm a holistic alcohol coach who ended a 20-year relationship to alcohol without labels, counting days, or ever making excuses. Now I help powerful women just like you eliminate their desire to drink on their own terms. In this podcast, we will explore the revolutionary approach of my proven five shifts process that gets alcohol out of your way by breaking all of the rules and the profound experience that it is to rediscover who you are on the other side of alcohol. I am so thrilled to be your guide. Welcome to your journey of awakening. Welcome back to the show, my beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for being here for another episode. We have a very, very special guest on today, only the second of his kind so far. Um, uh, you know, a colleague of sorts and someone that's come into my life as an inspiration because I feel like we share a lot of the same messages about getting to the other side of alcohol. And I was actually um, uh, fortunate enough that he invited me on his show, uh, his podcast. And I would love for him to tell you a little bit about that. But welcome, Martin John, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much. And yeah, like uh, connecting with you through our podcast has been beautiful. Yeah. Well, I would love for you just to start out giving the audience just a little, I know it's hard to define, like we talk about I am dot, 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 like, is there anything else that needs to be said? But in the, in the 3D realms, tell the audience a little bit about what you're up to in in space. So as I, as, as I, so, you know, as a primer, I have 21 years clean and sober and in 2014, uh, when I had 14 years clean and sober, I got diagnosed with MS and that really changed my experience of how I do what I do. I was doing like arts and production before that. And, and that moved me into understanding that I knew something about recovery that a lot of people don't. And that is that I'm recovering to who I am. I'm not, I'm no longer recovering from any one specific thing. I'm really recovering from having lived under the influence. And that's a big part of my message is like, I want people to become aware of the fact that they're living under the influence and they're living under the influence of their parents and then their teachers and the education system, and then their peers and partners and culture and marketing. And when we live under the influence, we all of a sudden have a we we try to attach ourselves to an identity so that we can align 
with those influences that we have. We want to be a good woman or we want to be a good man or we want to be strong or we want and all of those identities they are they limit us from being us like you said i am and i would say full stop i am and i am good and i am bad but i don't need to define anything that i do as anything other than like well i am this right now and i am just doing this and it doesn't have a definition it doesn't have it doesn't have to sit on some spectrum anywhere it's just what's happening with me so a large part of what i do is talk about recovering yourself my podcast is titled recover yourself i have a workshop that's available now that's recover yourself and that workshop was built for drug and alcohol rehab counselors to earn continuing education units and now it's available for everybody so that because way too many people think, oh, recovery is not for me because I don't have an addiction. Well, <laughs> recovery is kind of for everybody when we look at it from a different perspective. If we're looking at recovering from, yes, we're looking over our shoulder at that thing back there that we used to do. But when we look at recovering too, we're like, oh, let's move forward into this thing in front of us. Let's move into who we are. And that's, and that's really... Uh, the, what what really kind of blows up my skirt, right? Like that's the thing that that excites me is, is really spreading this message that we're recovering to something and we're all doing that. And we're doing that because as soon as we're born, we start living under the influence of our parents and we think there's a standard, right? We think, oh, this is normal. And then when you realize that, oh, your family wasn't as normal as someone else's family, then you put yourself on that spectrum. And that spectrum really can get us off course as to being who we are. And then we have diagnoses and other things like that. It's like, yeah, I have a diagnosis of MS, but I don't have MS, right? Like that's a, that's a mental thing. That's a thing that tells me, oh, now I am the victim to this thing. And that's not the way forward in any recovery journey. Yeah. Now you guys know all of you listeners, why I invited Martin John on, cause he has just such a great message. And I've talked about this, you know, that being that we're not only under the influence of the chemical of alcohol, but the, what it means to not be a drinker, what it means to get support, right. All of those things that have been in the social stigma. And the other thing that I think you and I share a message on is that we don't need to blame human evolution or the way that we got to where we got to move forward from it. We just need to become aware that it's not the truth. And like, we're here now. And so, you know, I like as long, as long as, you know, capitalism and consumerism exists, like people are going to be trying to sell you stuff. Right. And it's, it's up to the individual to, to, to create more self-authority inside and just ask with curiosity, like, is this, whose beliefs are these? Right. And and do I want to choose to believe them anymore? Right. Um, and the better we get at that, <laughs> that the self-authority piece, um, I think the world just becomes such a more just we can really appreciate the wonder and awe of the spectrum of human emotion. You know, I got I got I got I I, I, I saw I ran across something today that was like. This is just human decency. Like doing something, I forget what it was. It was like this is human decency, and I was just like, hmm. and and it 
And we have to, and this is, this might, this, to your listeners, this might sound like fucking wacko, but um, there is no human decency. There is no politeness. There is no courteousness. All of that stuff that you learned is influence. All of that stuff that you learned. Now, if you are genuinely drawn to send somebody a thank you card and you do that with just love and it's not an obligation that you're doing and that's what you're doing now is that nice well it could be defined by that it could uh is that courteous is that is that but if you're doing it because it's what's expected then you're not nice <laughs> Right. Right. You're not. You're, you're, there's nothing nice about you. You're just following a protocol under which you're living under the influence. Right. Like so. So it's a really kind of tricky thing. There is no there is no human decency, like because a human being is capable of murder mm -hmm. and that would not fall under the, you know, the moniker human decency. Right. And so it's, you know, like humans are, are also capable of torture and horrible, horrible things. Um, but when you follow your heart and when you feel connected and when you feel in love, and I'm not trying to say that like those, those basic tenements of whatever human decency, whatever, however we describe that or, or prescribe that. But as soon as you start to have any sort of line of right and wrong it's gonna it, you know like where do you stop and and all of a sudden you start having to check on your own actions eventually they'll catch up with you and if we can live moment to moment like you were saying earlier moment to moment be here now and and be and and check in with that awareness which we haven't always been able to do i think awareness is really becoming more and more accessible every day. Mm -hmm. uh, once we check in with that awareness, we'll be like, oh, I'm actually feeling angry and I don't actually want to punch this person in the face. It's just because I'm angry. It's because I, you know, like whatever, it's because I had an experience and they triggered me. You know, it's interesting. I read, you, do you know about the Tao Te Ching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read chapter 61 today. I'm going to, I'm going to open it up. Do you mind? No, not at all. I would love that. I was going to ask you about Zen and the art of recovering yourself. So, oh yeah. Well, that's, that's, so there's a line in here that says it takes a great, a, a great nation is like a great man. When he makes a mistake, he realizes it. Having realized it, he admits it. Having admitted it, he corrects it. He considers those who point out his faults as his most benevolent teachers. He thinks of his enemies as the shadow he himself casts. Now, when I, when I look at getting triggered, when I look at getting upset, and that's not the whole of 61, uh, but, but that's, a, that's the section that I wanted to address. When I look at this is he, he considers those who point out his, his faults. You know, we can look at that as like, oh, they pointed it out. They told me I'm wrong. But people aren't going to do that. What's going to happen is you're going to go out in the world and you're going to get angry at something at some point. And that is that person or that thing that's getting you angry, pointing out your fault. Mm. 
It is your shadow. Mm-hmm. What you're mad at. So if you're angry at politics right now, for whatever reason you're angry, that is pointing out your fault. And you can look out and you can find an enemy. But there in the in the Tao, it also states to have an enemy is to be an enemy. So it's really important for you when you look out at the world and you get triggered to use that trigger as your lesson. That is your, that is yours. That's your shadow. Like you're getting upset. Who the hell cares other than you? You could, you could believe that, oh, it's human decency. Everybody hates politics right now. Everybody hates Trump or everybody hates Biden or he is horrible or whatever. And, and you can look at that, but if you look at what you're actually upset at, that's pointing to you. And when you can recognize that, then, then you won't want to be like, oh, and I know a lot of people say this because I've heard it just like, well, if he dies, I wouldn't be upset. It's like, that's humanity. That's a human being and they do deserve respect. No matter, no matter if you agree with them or not, like even if they were a murderer, you know, I was here in Illinois, we had that, we had a, we had a shooting recently at a parade and, um, and I was talking to someone who lives in the area uh, cause we're, we're friends. And, and I was like, you know, the thing is, is like, we got, we got to look at both sides, right? We got to look at the shooter and we got to look at, you know, gun laws. And we also got to look at the people who, were injured, but, but, you know, and she was like, well, yeah, but, but this isn't about mental illness. No, it's about human pain. Like here's someone who was hurting so much that they did this thing. Right. And, and you can say it's the gun laws, but here's someone without the gun laws, they would have continued to go undiagnosed, Mm -hmm. you know? And so because the gun laws are in place and yes, many people lost their lives, but because the gun laws are in place, this person you know, like shit rose to the top. And then all of a sudden you're like, this person needs help Mm -hmm. rather than just being like, well, they don't have the guns to go out and do that. Let them stay in their, you know, in their basement, just brooding and being upset and miserable. You know, it's like when we get triggered, those things that hurt us are pointing back to us. And it's really important to like, you know, be empathetic towards everybody even if we don't agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's so much, there is so much there and it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's the symptom, right. And I think we can say that about alcohol, like alcohol is the symptom of an unfelt or an emotion in so many ways. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I was thinking about this, I think about this often, and I don't know if you have them where you are, but around here in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of people have these signs <clears throat> and I've talked about that, like, we have to look at the whole picture. Like what is causing people to, to take these horrific acts and for sure studying mindfulness and Zen, I've been able to really put myself in this place of, you know, meta meta meditation. I mean, offering loving kindness and compassion to everyone, but we have these signs that say in our house, we believe science is real. Love is the way, you know, um, immigrants are well, all these things. And it's like, do you really believe that? Like if that, (laughs) if that person, you know, and I believe all those things are saying too, but it's like, is it only if they believe in what you believe in? Because if you meet that person face to face and you have a political conversation, are they still welcome in your home? Like, does this, is this the full spectrum of what you're saying? And it's just one example of, you know, 
we have to have diversity and love and all of the things, but does it mean everyone? Because if it doesn't, then that's not true. Usually it doesn't. Right. right. And that's, that's the what problem. I'm saying. And like, yeah. and um, I've been talking a lot about Michael Singer on the show. Um, have you read the book, The Tethered Soul? Mm, I don't. I don't know. I I've gone through a lot of books, but yeah. you know, well, like anyway, I listen to books. So yeah. But either way, go on. He's it's been around for a while. It's kind of always been in the background of my brain, but I, he's, he wrote a sequel. And so he's on this podcast tour and, you know, certain teachers come into your life at the right times. And he literally, I mean, so much of what he talks about um, is exactly what you're saying and exactly what I talk about too, which is so many things pass through us, right? We, we see a tree, we have an experience, we have a conversation, some stuff comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. And the things, what he says is when something bumps up against you, it's bumping up against your stuff. And so that's what you're saying. It's like, it's showing you your shadow. And so it's not like this is the golden rule that this circumstance is going to make everyone feel this emotion. No, (laughs) this is that one circumstance that couldn't pass through you because you have stuff in there that hasn't been moved, that hasn't been released, that hasn't been, you know, fully experienced. And then underneath that are all of these things that you're under the influence of. Right. And so, I mean, it can be really, and I try to give, you know, the listeners um, on the show, like things to, to really look at. And, and I, and I was interested in your process and maybe even what you work with your clients on, you know, I talk about allowing an emotion to have a beginning, middle and end that emotions are, are, are the the thing that makes us the most human, right? They are like our most human trait. And to to get to know them um, kind of just from a neutral perspective and really explore them and understand them and feel them and 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 have a conversation with them is a really is is a really powerful life-changing experience. And this is what we for me, what we need to do to get to the other side of the desire and attachment to alcohol. It's been the tool that I've used. Um, what is your, how do you work with emotion? What do you do? I, I, emotion's fine. I don't work with it because emotion is, um, emotion is a liar. I think emotion is like, although yes, it is, you know, like this human experience and stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, like elephants mourn, you know, like, so it's it's not strictly human. And I think it is chemical mostly. Uh, and because it's chemical, they're addictive. And so the more we work with them, uh, and, and depending on how you're working with them, like you said, looking at them from a neutral perspective, that is the way, like, I don't care about your emotion. I don't really care if you're hurt. Like, why should I? You're hurt. Shit ain't my problem. Right? Like, this is what I say about people who drink as well. You drink. I don't care. Your sobriety means nothing to me. Why should it? It's your sobriety. Do you want it? Okay. What what, what do you want me to do? You know, do you want me to remove all the alcohol from the house? Why is is someone going to do that for the rest of your life? Like, I, I I don't, like... You're going to get emotional. Now, when you're done being emotional, when you're done being emotional, like with all of the stuff, when you're done being triggered, when you're done being angry. And I say, look, if you're angry and you usually throw stuff, go ahead and throw stuff. You've done it all this time. Go ahead and do it. Hell do I care? 
If that's what you do, go do it. If you cry and you cry and, and you've done this, you've survived the way you deal with your emotions so far. So my guess is if you do it again, it's not going to be a big deal, right? Like if you judge yourself for having the emotion or responding to the emotion in the way that you do, well, that's a problem. That's judgment. That's not emotion. And, and, and I deal with judgment and I'll work with judgment a little bit in terms of like, well, how arrogant are you to think that people should care about your emotions? You know, like how, how, how important do you really think you are? Nobody cares about us, right? Like we're the ones that have to do that, you know? Um, so what I say is when you're done now go back into the emotion and find out where it started. And then when you say, well, that some bitch did this thing. Okay. What's that thing? And why did they do it? Right? Like, why did they do that thing? Whatever. I mean, it's really hard to talk about. Um, it's really hard to talk about these things in the abstract because people don't necessarily get it. I can tell a story about me. Like one of the first times I went through this process, I, I was driving and people cut me off all the time. I would get cut off all the time and I'd get upset and I would hold on to that anger and I would flip them off. And I would, I would threaten all of our lives by passing them, cutting them off and doing all those sorts of things. But then I would realize that I would be so angry. And I would always say these, you know, these people are not paying attention. They're not paying attention. Everybody that cut me off is not paying attention. And eventually I realized, wait a minute, it can't be possible that each and every person who cut me off is not paying attention. That's just the same story I'm telling every time. And that's the thing that's pissing me off. It's like, oh, they do this because they're not paying attention. Okay, well, what is my relationship to paying attention? And I really recognize that, oh, so I used to get in a lot of trouble all the time. I used to get hit and stuff just because I would spill things and I would be told I'm not paying attention. But it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. It's just I wasn't paying attention to that or it wasn't important to me or whatever the reason was. And I had this, I had all of this pent up uh, fear about being identified as someone who didn't pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so I looked out at the world and I tried to do a couple things. One, show everybody how much I'm paying attention by pointing out everybody that wasn't paying attention and create that spectrum. Say, look, I am not on the end of the spectrum of not paying attention because they're not paying attention. And then I could put myself higher on the spectrum of not paying attention. And when I recognize that my, my relationship to being cut off and my relationship to this anger that I had was about me not paying attention and, and I was able to exercise this, oh, you know what? And the next time I get cut off, oh, he's not paying attention. Oh, wait, mm. I don't know that but I do know that I have a relationship with paying attention. That's a little messed up. So he can cut me off. That's fine. And really I haven't been cut off in the last 20 years or since that point. Right. And it's not that people haven't merged in front of me close because getting cut off is something that I define. Yeah. Right. Being yelled at is something that I define. Someone can yell at me, but if I don't define it as having been yelled at, and I'm not getting yelled at. Yeah. All of that stuff is self-defined. And so when I get triggered, have the emotion, flip them off, try and kill them and drive them off the road, do all that stuff. And when you're done, say, hmm, wonder where that came from. Why am I mad at this guy? I'm mad because he's not paying attention. 
Do you know he's not paying attention? What's your relationship to paying attention? And that is how I, so I have a workshop, Recover Yourself. You guys can find that on my website and stuff, but, but being able to go through that process of like, what is the story here? Yeah. And then behind the story, what's the theme? And then behind the theme, who were you? Yeah. And that is, that is a way that I've discovered to get access to the back door of our brain. Because when we look at our trauma, when we look at things that frustrate us, um, and we do that, trying to knock on the front door of our trauma, our brain's like, bitch, get the, get to stepping because I am not going to let you in because this is going to hurt you. And that's why a lot of people go, I know my trauma. I know my trauma. I know my trauma. I know my trauma. I know where it is. I know what it, but you keep walking dead into it every time. It's like, yep, I know my trauma. And here it is again. You know, every relationship I have turns into this. Yes. Because although you know your trauma, you have no idea how to be aware when it shows up. You have no idea how to actually process what you're doing because it's you. Nobody is doing anything to you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I even like to say, and and I don't know if I got this. I, I, I heard that this is a Ram Das thing, but I'm not a big Ram Das follower, but he says there are no other people. And I've been saying that for a long time, this idea that no, it's you, you think there's other people out there. It looks like there's other people out there, but you can't experience other people because you're experiencing it through your brain through your perception. And so there are no other people. It's all you. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. I love that. And I, you know, I think the more we just accept what I mean, when you're, you know, talking about emotions don't really matter, they don't kind of exist. It is because what I've experienced is that it's the um, the presence of the emotion and we're feeling a sensation in the body and that is real, right? And it's chemical mm-hmm. induced. But what it does is when it's, when we're so intertwined without the awareness with the thought and the emotion, then the story is true, right? Because we feel those sensations, that vibration in our body, and that's a real experience in the moment, it, it signals that the thought that came with it until we investigate it is that story, that thing that we're under the influence of is the truth, right? That it's not just mm-hmm. an opinion. And what Michael Singer says, and I'll just say him again, because I've been kind of obsessed with him lately, is it's not the moment in front of you that's bothering you. You're bothering yourself about the moment in front mm-hmm. of you, right? right. right. And yeah. in the, the better that we <laughs> can get at this, well, what I see is the need for alcohol becomes less. And we can start to create also, I believe, which I've been able to do is a a life on purpose. I mean, we can be open to whatever shows up for us. But in my experience, I've been able to create by removing those stories and creating the stories that I, that I want to live into. And that I, and that I want my life to look like, and it doesn't always happen. Stuff still bumps up against me all the time, but I have moments where, um, you know, I'm definitely able to be when you started talking about, you know, the politics and all of that. I mean, many, many things, and I'm sure this is your experience have shifted for me. The, the reactions that I had, you know, even when I was probably before I was drinking, cause I've been on this path for a long time, but changing my relationship to alcohol and being able to see 
where I was quote unquote wrong or where I had this, this illusion of a story has really opened my eyes. Cause to me, it was like the biggest blinders came off, right? Like it was just like, I was blindsided by something that I thought was just always going to be a truth for me. Um, and so it's helped me to be able to just examine that in so many other areas of my life and decide, do I want to be bothered by this? And then I feel like I have so much more capacity to be a peaceful presence in the world and, and do, do what I do. Um, but you know, we started this conversation, you were talking about being in a relationship and I was curious and it may be, maybe the relationship or maybe other things that you do. And you've given some examples about driving. How, how is this work that you did, you know, recovering yourself? How is it currently being informed and maybe in the relationship that you're just in? Um, how is it informing your current life? Like, why is it, how is it different now than maybe it would have been before you are, were on this journey of recovering yourself? Well, even so, you know, it's interesting, like, um, we got together for like a month in October and we were, you know, it was, she's in New York and I'm here and in Chicago. And, and so there's a, there's a distance and we only met, like we met, you know, and, and we met and my heart just opened. Right. When we, when it was just, we talked online, uh, you know, through an app and it was just as soon as we connected, my heart opened and, and I knew that I had to pay attention, right? This is like the universe just saying, pay attention here because that does not happen very often in my life. And, um, and I don't know if I didn't do that work, I would have been able to, you know, respond properly. Right. Um, and then we were together for a month and there was some, there were, there were a number of things that we, that came up that we both had to then go work on. And she, she, uh, and I separated for about six months. And, and during that time, I didn't know that we would ever get back together or anything. And I just went about my business. I was just like, okay, these are the things that hurt me. What I saw in this, I was like, oh, she can't receive my love. So where am I not able to receive love? Mm. And that, because it's not about her, right? Like she is just showing me myself and, and the story that I make up does, has nothing to do with her, right? So, so that was the story I made up was that she can't receive my love. And then I was like, where can't I receive my love? And then I actually, I like, called all of my exes and I was like, can you recall a time where I received your love? Can you recall a time where I received your love? And even, and even close friends of mine and none of them could not that they couldn't, I'm sure they could. Uh, but when I asked the question, the answer was clear that I had problems receiving. Um, so then I did a number of things to exercise that so that I would be able to receive. and you know, it's regard, regardless of what she does, it's my experience we're talking about. So there's only one experience that I can speak of, right? So when I was prepared in my life to receive love, we started talking again, you know, that wasn't even under my control. Like she reached out to me. And then from there, we started building a relationship. And so we've been together for the last three months and, and it's been, you know, it's, 
uh, it's a journey because we're both doing this work, right? We're both doing this work. And so it isn't that I don't get triggered, but my triggers are not her responsibility and her triggers are not mine. Right. So she gets upset at me. She gets to look at herself. I don't get upset. Um, what I recognize right away that like, I'm not upset at her. I'm upset because I'm letting myself down somewhere. Mm. Right? So how can I, how can I better voice myself and how can I better put myself in a position to uh, be here now with the love that I have for this person, you know, without bumping up against my own shit, you know? Uh, and so, and that is a day-to-day struggle. Like I'm not responsible for her. Right. And that is, you know, even though like I want to give and I want to do all of the things that I do and I am, you know, like I'm a quality time and physical touch person, you know, in terms of the, in terms of that whole like love language stuff. Um, and by, by doing that, like, I want to spend time together and I want to, you know, I, I want, but like how that shows up is me actually recognizing that I'm loving myself and, and she's showing me something that I haven't been able to identify within myself. Um, and, and, and that's a constant, it's a constant reminder that she is me Yeah. and, and then I'm here. I'm here offering love to myself. And that's, and that's something that I've incorporated into my life everywhere. You know, I have many, many friends and, you know, I can even honestly say that I love you, right? Like, because, because you're in my life, like you automatically receive my love. Right. And, and, and of course my love with Andy is very different than that, but it's, it's not really either, you know? Yeah. I love this. Well, I'm, excited for you because there's nothing better than receiving love and like I you know I love this self-reflective question right and just when you have that statement towards the other is turning it around and saying you know where am where am I frustrating myself or where am you know where am I not where am I misunderstanding myself I think for me misunderstanding being feeling misunderstood is a big trigger for me. So it's like, where am I not understanding myself or Mm. expressing myself clearly? Right. And, um, you know, and I would also, you know, depending on who it is, because maybe that's not the case across the board, it might be a very specific person. And when you say, well, why did they like, so if it, you know, if it turns out to be like, if I look at my partner and I say, they don't understand me, um, that could like, for me, they don't understand me. I go, that's not my problem. Right. Right. Like, because that's not a big deal for me. But if you were in that position, you're like, they don't understand me. They're not listening or they're not, you know, like, or they don't want to understand. Like, sometimes it's a little, you know, it's a little more than that. Right. It could be. And and then we start getting into like, what is that? You know, like I look at the solar plexus. I say, follow Like, look into your solar plexus and ask, what is the question that the solar plexus is asking? Mm-hmm. Like, or what is the statement that the solar plexus is asking? Because because it'll be really blunt and and um, it'll be like this some bitch just said that and he knows that I, that I expressed this already. Right. And, and it's like, when that's there, it's like, he knows, but he's not listening. He's not paying attention. Like what is the actual phrase that 
you would use, Mm -hmm. you know, like, because when you can get into that emotional state, the question is honest, Mm -hmm. right? That emotional state that you're talking about, the question that gets asked is all you need to take away from that emotional state. Everything else is just coming down. Everything else is chemical, but that question that actually initiates the chemical response is the thing that is pointing back to you. And it is not pointing back to you today, right? Mm -hmm. It is pointing back to a belief you're carrying and that you're currently living under the influence of that you probably picked up when you were six. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't do child work. I don't, I don't even think inner child work is important. I just think understanding, like I do ask what's your earliest memory, but that's not for inner child work. That's for understanding your influence. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Well, go on. No, I mean, yeah, I believe like we don't have to go back to move forward. Oh, no, yeah. not at all. And and like it's just like in this moment, you can just understand that you are <laughs> the product of a bunch of beliefs that aren't yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And good, great. Let's just clear the surface and get super curious about them. Um, but that it's interesting that specific qu- question of like, where am I being misunderstood or where am I misunderstanding myself? And um, I was talking to someone about this earlier and, and I think it comes around alcohol because like there's this identification and people change their relationship to alcohol, but it's like, this is just what I've seen a lot of stories. It's like, but I don't want someone to think that I have a problem because it's a choice and you know, all of these things. And it's like, they don't understand. And that's the whole point. And like, what you said is like, they don't need the only person that needs to understand is you. Right. And so, but to, to unravel that, there is that question of like, well, what don't I understand? What I, what don't I fully believe about this experience yet? Where do I have some, still some shadow of belief about where I am in relationship to alcohol? Right. And um, so I think that that, yeah, I think it's easy to say if, if you feel super strong about who you are and in, in, in a moment and you understand it, no, no one, no one else ever under really underneath needs to understand anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's obviously circumstances of like, I'm giving you instructions about building this thing. And if you don't get it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there, so this is, this, I, we talked about this a little bit on, on, on the recover yourself podcast, yeah. you know, the masculine and the feminine. There's two. There's two aspects to these yes. things, right? Like so. So the masculine is I am going to give you instructions on how to build a house, but you're building the house so you can so you can uh, celebrate the feminine, right? The inside of the house. You don't build the house so you celebrate the walls. You build the house because you you can celebrate a a, a place to share love right? Uh, uh, the, the emptiness, you celebrate the emptiness of the house because now you can fill it, mm-hmm. right? And that is celebrating the feminine within the masculine. And so like, yes, you need to be understood. But when you start looking at, you know, like, like you were saying, like, oh, this could be this. Well, yes, it could be that you're being misunderstood, but maybe it could also be, well, why is it so important for you to be understood by other people, right? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, like when you start asking yourself, well, are, you know, at that point I would be like, well, are you a sibling and are you a second born? And like, if those things are true, then maybe it is kind of important for you to be seen, you know, because, because, you know, the firstborn often 
you know, if you're traditional in your, in your birth order, I'm a big birth order fan, because I think that, you know, if you're the firstborn, you only have three major relationships, you, your mom, you, your dad, and then your parents. When you're a second born, you have you, your sibling, you, your mom, you, your dad, your sibling, your mom, your sibling, your dad, your parents, and then the group without you. And then the group with you, right? Like, so you have so many more relationships to observe as a second born that, and you're also looking for your place in the pack. You know, usually the firstborn tends to be, tends to, uh, lean, uh, energetically towards, uh, you know, in terms of their personality towards head of household, because the head of household is the one that is the leader and who would want to be born into a pack and be like, yeah, I don't want to lead it unless the head of household is of that nature. And so, you know, things can get really kind of dicey once you start getting into, you know, uh, into family life and other things like that. But traditionally, uh, looking at that kind of stuff. It's like, well, how do you as an individual actually define this? Because how do you define not being heard? That's a big, that's a, there's a big difference between that and being like, I'm not being heard. Right. What is, what do those words mean to you specifically? That's why it's about recovering yourself because even though you say that and everyone can understand it from their own perspective, Yours is completely different. Yeah. And if we look at traditional therapy, which I, I believe is super clumsy, traditional psychotherapy and, and psychoanalysis and, and, and uh, any sort of the soft science is very, very clumsy. And they try to create a masculine framework to deal with these deep feminine, you know, loosey goosey sorts of things that are unique from person to person. And you are not a house that I can just be like, oh, I'm going to just fix your plumbing, you know, like, no, that's not. And, and, you know, talk therapy is great if you want to look at it as a market, but if you want to look at it as offering like help now, if you want to look at it as offering identity, like they want you to embrace your diagnosis more than they want you to embrace yourself. Ooh, I love that. Tell me again what the question is that we ask the solar plexus. Oh, we we just add, we it's not a question that we ask the solar plexus. The solar plexus like makes a statement usually. Yeah. And and so if we were to look at like like I was so I do this recover yourself workshop and it's yeah. digital now, but I was doing this I was doing it live and an older woman like was, was doing my workshop and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to grasp new concepts, you know, like old dog, new tricks kind of thing. And I told them during one phase, I was like, look, I want you to look into your solar plexus and I want, I want you to tell me what it's saying about this experience that you're having this trigger you're having. One of her triggers was she wasn't getting served at a restaurant very well. Like she, she got upset and stuff. And then I said, okay, well, why, why aren't they serving you? Just very bluntly. And she was just like, well, it's probably because I'm old and da, da, da. And then she did everything I asked her not to do, which was do not be accommodating. Do not say, oh, they might be busy. Do not let them off the hook. Because yes, you want to do those things while you're at the table. But when you're doing self-examination work, those people don't exist. Yeah. Fuck them. Why should you be nice to them? They pissed you off. 
Now, in order for you to find out why you're pissed off and in order to not be pissed off later, you have to be an ass and go ahead and be an ass to these people. Now that you're done being upset and eating your meal, go home and say, oh, they're not feeding me because they're not serving me because I'm old. All right. Now let's examine your relationship to aging. Yes. Let's examine how you feel about aging. Let's examine how you feel, how scared it probably is to be aging in this society right now. Let's look at that because my guess is that's a lot more real than your excuses for them because they're not serving you. It's like, oh, and, 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 you know, like there's two things that I tell them not to do. I tell them, do not take responsibility and do not let them off the hook. So don't say, oh, I need to be more accommodating. Yes, at the table, you need to be more accommodating. But here in my workshop, shut up and be pissed. Yeah. Ask yourself, why are you pissed? I'm pissed because they're not serving me. Why aren't they serving me? Because I'm old. All right. Now, shut down that emotion because it's not real. You're afraid of getting old or you have some pissed off fucking feelings about getting old. Let's look at that. Like you're old. What does that mean to you? Now let's start digging into the, into the reality of what you're feeling. They are just, they are, you know, as the Tao says in that 61, you know, I'm going to look it up. I got to open it up again. Um, you know, he considers those who point out their, his faults, his most benevolent teachers. And if somebody is pointing out your faults, all that means is you got triggered. You got upset. They pointed out your fault. And your fault isn't that they're not serving you. In your gut, your story is telling you that you're old, you know, and that's something you have to look at. And if you can't look at that, then, and you want to continue looking outward, that's just the manifestation. There's nothing out here. It's all actually happening in here. And this is closed off as never, your brain has never experienced a tree. You have no idea what a tree looks like because it's all coming through your brain. And you don't know if your eyes are right or wrong. We've proven that, that like, I mean, even with psychedelics, you can prove that it might not be there. So recognize that this is just, this is just you having an experience and it's your experience to have. So. What is it? Are you going to play the victim? Are you going to say it's them, it's them, it's them? Are you going to recognize that they don't even exist? And yeah, okay, that's a hard thing to sort of swallow, but in the end, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I love this approach because it really gets to the core of our judgments and conclusions, right? Mm-hmm. The, the belief story and... um yeah, I love the idea of, of letting the solar plexus speak and really just say, because then you're going to know, you're going to know, <laughs> like, right away, what, why, and um, that's powerful. Yeah, everyone needs this work. Everyone mm-hmm. needs this I think work. so. I think so. Well, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about the Tao, but, you know, and and I don't know if this perspective is is kind of 
why you work with the DAO or how, how that's really informed the work that you do. But when you were talking about, you know, this reflective nature of the outside, just reflecting back at us, I mean, that's kind of how I see all of existence, especially with like the human, but, but all of it, all of it, it's like just facets of, you know, a crystal or like a broken mirror, right. Where it's just these little pieces of, of the whole. And when we can look at that, like you were saying about your relationship, she really is just another facet of me. And there's this reflective nature of me getting, getting to look at myself. Is that, is that what the Tao has helped you be able to understand and why you use your work, why you use that in your work or why that's really important? Uh, yeah. The Tao, the Tao came to me <laughs> at a time that I could have used, that I could use it. And you can use anything. You can use the Bhagavad Gita. You can use the Bible. You can use the, you know, the Quran. You can use whatever you want. It's not. And, and, and I'll be the first to say the Tao's out of date. Like it was written 600 BCE. Like we're, we're well on our way past the third brain, right? We're well on our way into a spirit brain. I think you and I have talked about that. Wow. Um, and so, and so, you know, the Tao the Tao and the Bible and all of these things that were written around that time. So the Old Testament of the Bible was apparently, you know, the scholars say was written about the same time. So um, when we start getting writing, we start realizing we're moving to the frontal lobe because it starts to move into the space of logic. And that means we're moving into the space of the masculine. And we have taken that as far as we can. But the Tao was written sort of reminding people that it is within the heart that life exists, right? And so so it is reminding us of the feminine, of the great feminine. And um, you know, so the Tao is the, you know, it you know, when we look at so many religions, they look at like the father, but the Tao talks about it as the feminine and, and it is the, the void is the ultimate feminine and, and, and anything that has structure is a masculine thing. So the universe is masculine. What is within the universe, like the space is the feminine, then the planet is masculine. What is on the planet, like the energy of the planet is feminine. And then man is born. And then that's masculine because we have that gut brain, right? We have that guttural sort of, we need a structure in order to survive. And then we move into the heart brain, which is the feminine and then the head brain. And now we're moving out of the head brain into what I refer to as the spirit brain. And it's going to be our first non-physical brain. And, Mm -hmm. and, and as we move into that, we want to go back to understand uh, what we came from, because we're going to be going back to that in a different way. And, and, and we're going to be going into that with logic as a tool, like survival is a tool. And, but before we wrote anything down, we had all of this space and we were able to enjoy space, but we don't know what that was because we didn't write anything down because language as a written form wasn't important until we had logic. Right. And so, and so that's the thing we need both. We need both this masculine and feminine in order to grow and continue learning. And I think as we move into this more feminine um, experience as humans, um, 
we will, uh, we, I, I think, looking back to ancient texts and texts that were written right around, you know, that 800 to 600 BCE, mm-hmm. um, when when writing was first, you know, getting its its start, you know, uh, because once writing starts getting written, once we start writing things down, we start living under the influence of the past. Which is why, you know, like I, you know, like look at, look out at the world today. Like, like how many books are going to be published this year? What a bunch of garbage. Who cares? Who cares? Why, why, why even write at this point? Why even put anything down? Why? It, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, like the amount of, the amount of content that's being produced these days is, so out even even mine like who like doesn't even matter doesn't even matter it's all it like do i believe in my content yes and everybody's going to find their own way yeah doesn't even matter like you're fine you're fine with it you're fine without it like and and can it help you sure but you're going to you you're on your own like anyway so i don't it's all it's all very contradictory and and it's all weird right now because we still live in this sort of consumer experience and in the consumer experience it's like consume at at, at what level do we have to consume all this garbage (laughs) well you know and and being that we've been kind of under the influence of the masculine you know again there's no no positive or negative about it, but we're attached to achievement. Mm-hmm. Right? We're attached yeah. to structure. So, but we're, what a beautiful place we're in that we have the logic, we have the structure, we have the know-how who we can, we're safe, right? It's still like the most peaceful time in human history. More people have expendable resources than ever before. And we just have so much of this information that we, we don't, you know, a lot of people just don't see it that way, but we have the information we have the structure, we have the logic, we're moving into the, into the spirit brain, which I love this, that now we can become even maybe more peaceful. Right. And, um, but yeah, I think it's the, the, uh, just the awareness that we are attached to the structure. We are attached to the logic. We are attached to the achievement. And because we're kind of, what I see is that we're kind of at a tipping point where there's just like, it's not doing us any more good and that we move into the spirit brain and I'll just use your, your language for it so we can continue to evolve. Right. Right. Um, And one of my philosophies is, or actually just like my kind of ultimate goal in life is to remove story until the only thing left is love. And, you know, my, (laughs) I hate story. Story right. is the worst. Like, like, you know, even even like in Mark Manson, I was just like, tell a story, tell a story. So like, fuck your story. I can't, I can't, well, I can't be bothered with your story. The story is what we're under the influence of, right? And it's that's like right. well, all of the books, all the content, all of the the self-help and self-discovery, it's like we're reaching for something, we're outside of ourselves to be happy, but all we actually have to do is remove what's in the way of it. <laughs> Right. Like literally that's the answer. Like if you listen to this podcast, you just received like the answer to how to see happy, how to be live a more peaceful life. And I think I kind of want to transition into just asking you, you know, then when 
then why? Then why share your content, right? Because I'm assuming you enjoy, and this is an assumption, that you are enjoying your life more, maybe living a more peaceful life now, having gone through this journey, having recovered yourself than, than you were before. I mean, is this, is this why you share this awareness that you have so that other people may have the opportunity to, to awaken to themselves? Yeah, that's a, that's a long pause. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I think that, you know, uh, it's not happiness, but it's bliss, right? It's this idea that like, no, there, there is nothing here. Mm. And, you know, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do with nothing here? You know, it's not, you know, of course, we live in a world where things cost things, right? And that cost is usually financial. And, you know, all too often, we get into a place where the cost of, getting a financial, uh, return is your, um, often your integrity and often your, um, you know, like I, I, I turn to the Tao so often, you know, fame or integrity, which is more important, you know, money or happiness, which is more valuable. I mean, to think about that, just the way that, which is more valuable, right? Money or happiness. Like if you just recognize what, what is value for you, you know, like we can put prices on things, but even when I, when I work with individual clients, like pricing is a weird thing because there's no value here for anybody other than you. And what is that value for you? You know, and, and, and so that's an interesting sort of thing why I do it is just because it's what I do. You know, it's, I, I think I look at it as like Dharma, if you're familiar with that word, right. It's just like, right. It's just, you wake up and you do the thing that you do. And this is what I do, you know? And, you know, I, I share the Tao on the wisdom app and um, I've done my podcast and I, I can feel that my podcast is, is wrapping up. And, and then there are things that, okay, well, I can trade this for that and I can do these things. And, and as I do them, they feel right until they don't. And when they don't, hmm, okay, what's next? Yep. You know, like my path has been magical. So, you know, addict, artist, started doing a portrait project, a project of uh, portraits and oil pastel that moved me into um doing interviews with people because like doing portraits of people, I had really great one-on-one interactive skills. So I started doing interviews for the arts and that's right when YouTube started. And then, and then I started a, uh, a production company and I built a web series and I did all of these things. And then I was going to do a, a web series on, or I was going to do a feature like documentary on trans people in, in ministry. And then I got MS and then I had to pay off some debt. And now I am doing the recover yourself work because my MS showed me that over the years, I learned something. I learned something very valuable about recovery. And that's not that we're recovering from something. We have a world telling everybody that they're wrong. We have a world telling everybody that they're broken. We have a world that is, that is hell bent on giving everybody a diagnosis. And for me, 
I'm like, you don't have a diagnosis. You do not have mental illness. You are yourself. And maybe society doesn't like that, but that's society. Like, that's not like, like, what is your experience? And like, can you be respected and loved as you are rather than, and yes, of course, we got to keep people safe and we got to keep people like, you know, uh, we got to, we got to make sure that people are able to experience that love of for themselves, but, but giving people diagnosis, I hear people proudly running around and, and saying, I got ADHD and I'm taking meds. And it's like, yes, all of those things are great. What are you doing to love yourself rather than your diagnosis? Mm. You know, and, and, and I think, and I, and, and I am very cool with the idea that like, you have a diagnosis, you understand yourself. Now you can heal. But I think most of the medical industry is like, you have a diagnosis. Now you can be medicated. And there's a big difference between understanding yourself and medicating yourself. And what is the reason that you want your diagnosis? Why are you right? Like, I know people will go doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor trying to find the right diagnosis for them. Yeah. You know, and, and searching is, I think searching is a big thing for people today. People want to search yeah. and no interest in finding because <laughs> yeah. finding means you have to stop searching and start doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that this recovering yourself is where, I mean, it is, there is nothing out there, right? It is. Mm. It is here. Um, and you know what I've found under the influence of with quote unquote recovery, and that's why I call it awakening, is there is this, you know, this kind of stigma that we move from one identity as a drinker or party or whatever it is to being a sober person. Now, sobriety as a verb is fine, right? I don't drink, but sobriety as another identity just adds this other thing, keeping you away from what you know what we've been talking about um and i'm That's not saying I, <laughs> save your life I, but i mean i have a quote that says sobriety is just a beverage choice yeah 100 i don't i don't i don't i don't care what you drink who cares what you drink yeah it's what you do with your sobriety that is going to define your recovery yeah I, I don't care what you drink you can you can actually go out and drink and you know and i've known uh, even the, the woman that I'm dating, when she got sober. She got sober after she started recovering. She started her recovery. Like as we spoke, she was like, oh, I started my recovery well before I got sober and getting sober didn't include any, any relapses or anything like that. She just stopped drinking and it wasn't even that hard for her. Why? Not because it, it, she wasn't addicted, but it's because she understood that she was recovering herself well before she ever even considered being sober. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Recovery is, you know, and, and when I talk about what are you recovering to, you're recovering to not who you thought you were, who you think you are, who your identity is. It's recovering you, recovering you. And you were born to be God. Like you are creating all of this around you. You are God. No, no questions asked. Now, are you going to recover that? Or are you going to just be a pissant human being? Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at it. Where it's just like, yeah, okay, you can you can say I'm a woman. Well, you've just you've just removed how much like if you if you if you stand by I'm a woman or I'm a man or I'm this or I'm that. As soon as you say I am and finish that sentence with something, you have removed. You have not added anything. And then if you say oh, I'm a I'm a mother, 
okay, well, now you've removed more. And it's like, there, there is no word that you can put on the end of I am and add anything. And if you do, and I don't care if you fill thousands and thousands of pages of all the things you are, you're still missing you. And that's why we don't finish that sentence with anything but a period. Well, I think we've given our listeners here today plenty to contemplate. (laughs) And I'm so glad that your partner found this, whatever recovery she was in, you know, understanding that she was recovering to something. Cause I tell people that all the time, you know, taking your last sip of alcohol isn't the first step. Like it's not about that. We're going to get to that, but we have to start with (laughs) just, just being here, right. Start with uncovering the fact that we will never know. We know nothing. And we will never know anything. Um, And that it's all just a story. And the the only thing left is love. So, so if you want your ass handed to you, you can reach out (laughs) to Martin John. Uh, No, he, I think that the work you're doing is amazing. And I love this like real talk um, with love from your heart. And um, I think it's a, it's a conversation that a lot of people aren't willing to have. And I think there's a lot of bravery, um, even if you don't necessarily identify in that way. Um, I think it takes a lot of courage to, to speak the truth. Um, because I think that it is the truth. Um, so this is why I really wanted to have you on today because I talk about this and I probably talk about it in a roundabout way sometimes. And I think, yeah, just sharing this conversation um, is going to give people a lot of pause and a lot of time to to think and open their hearts and open their minds to what's really what this is all really about. So we're going to make sure that everyone knows about your workshop and your podcast and the work that you do. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with the listeners today? Oh, you know, I, I there's a there's a thing that I tell my clients all the time. So I'll give you guys a little little, little primer, um, little something to walk away with. Cause it's always nice to have a little something to walk away with. I'm not one for, these are 10 things that you can do. Like, I always think that that's, that just gets you more addicted. Um, but when you're out living your life, if you can pause randomly here and there a couple times a day and ask yourself, do I like that I'm doing this? Um, because you know, like if you're, if you're, if you're pacifying in some way, if you're putting yourself in a position that, you know, you don't want to do something like that doesn't mean you have to change it. You know, like if you're, if you're like, Oh, I'm going to bring, I'm going to pick my friend up from the airport. Do I like that? I'm doing this. Well, no, I don't like that. I'm doing it. Okay. That's fine. Go pick up your friend from the airport and recognize that you don't like that you're doing it. And then later on, ask yourself, if I don't like that, I'm doing that. What can I do next time. Like, and then you find out that, oh, I can, I can speak up for myself or I can do this thing. Right. Like this is one of, this is one of the things that I've created to like, one of the questions that I've created to really be like, can, can you, cause, cause we always like, do you like it? Well, like if you're talking about like an Oreo cookie an Oreo cookie is sugar and fat and all the things your body likes, right? Of course you're going to like an Oreo cookie, but do you like that you're eating it? It's a big, it's a huge question. It's very, very different. You know, maybe you like that you're eating the first one, but now that you're eating your third, do you like that you're doing this? Yeah. And once you ask that question, you can actually figure out, you know, like actually, no, I don't like that I'm doing this. Okay, 
doesn't mean you have to stop, but you can add awareness in that way. A very simple little tool to just adding a little bit of awareness to your day. And if you can just ask, do I like that I'm doing this? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot different than do I like this? Mm-hmm. I really love that distinction. And what I, when I, when you say that to me, what it brings into me is, is, is a maturity is a willingness to just be really frank and honest with ourselves, because it's the things someone told me, said this to me recently, it's the things that we say to ourselves by ourselves that have the biggest impact. So let's just spend the time being honest and in, inquiring because you're the only one in there that's going to judge you. So you might as well pull out all the, all the stops, you know? Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you everyone for, um, for your presence today. And Martin, John, thank you so much for your light and your contribution to the world. It means a lot. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. Imagine taking the podcast every week to the next level with achievable goals and an action plan tailored specifically to your needs. Finding personalized support is how you gain control of your destiny. In my private one-on-one coaching program, Fast Track to Freedom from Alcohol, you get your own personal cheerleader, that's me, every week, helping you get clear, stay curious, and committed to what matters most versus resigning again and again to your habitual patterns. Every big change starts with one next step. Schedule a complimentary call with the link in the show notes or on my website, marywagstaffcoach.com to get a new perspective on an old habit.